2 is where we'll find our text this morning. Read those verses in just a few minutes. Along with that, let me say, um, um, it was 23 years ago, this very date, that I stood on this very platform and said, I do. It was neat. I was looking. Miss Diane Marshall was sitting over here. She sang a song that day at my at mine and Bree's wedding. And Miss Cece Harper was at the back. She directed our wedding. And so a lot of you who are here this morning were there. And uh, if I could give you young guys one piece of advice, it would be this. Don't get married this close to Valentine's Day, all right? It's expensive, all right? Don't do it. <laughs> but thank you all for the support you give to us and the prayers you pray for us and our family. And uh, happy anniversary. So um, I want to, uh, while it's on my mind, I'm supposed to do this during the announcements, but I may forget, so if, if I, I want to do it now, just in case uh, I forget later. John Gunner is uh, from, from our church. He's a missionary with North American Mission Board, and he has an opportunity uh, for uh, a group of people to go and to do missions this summer with him. I, I believe the dates are July 7th through the 14th. Uh, one of the opportunities is a sports ministry um, in one of the villages there doing volleyball and baseball. They need six people there to also be doing Bible studies and, um, and some special things with girls there. And then also, uh, at the same time, there's an opportunity for others uh, in the same group to go to Punta Cana and to do vacation Bible school, block parties, evangelism, door-to-door -door evangelism. Pam Jones will be here at the front of the church at the end of the service. If you'd like to know more information about this, you uh, come down and see Pam at the end of the service, and she'll have that information for you there. Let's read uh, Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. Together, the Bible says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Father, bless the reading of your word this morning. Bless the hearing Open our hearts and minds to hear what truth you have for us today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. My favorite game show is Jeopardy. And I love to watch Jeopardy. And, and in Jeopardy, you're answering, it's like you're answering riddles. You're given the answer, you come back in the form of a question. And, and if you get it correctly, then you're, you win money. So I watch it pretty good, and now it's on Netflix, and so I can watch it even more. And I'm pretty good at it, really am. But I'm, I'm afraid to go because I'm afraid I'd be that guy who gets there and freezes up and, could, and wouldn't know the answers once the lights and the cameras came on. Now, in our scriptures today, Jesus is at the end of four periods here, four different times, where people have come to him and they've tried to play a religious game of Jeopardy with him. They have asked him questions and tried to test him and tried to trip him up in a crowd of people and tried to get him to give a wrong answer. 
so that they could have an accusation against him or so that they could um, say that he is not who he claims to be. And so we see here all these opportunities that they've taken. Go back to uh, chapter 21, verses 23 through 27. The chief priests and the elders of the people questioned Jesus about his authority. Who, on, uh, on whose authority do you do these things and say these things? And so he answers them with a question about John the Baptist that they can't answer. And then in chapter 2, verses 15 through 22, the, the Pharisees come and they ask him if it's lawful to pay taxes to Caesar. Then again in chapter 22, verses 23 through 33, the Sadducees try to get Jesus to trip up on the subject of the resurrection. And so he has handled each one of these questions. He's handled each one of these opportunities in a way that only he could. And then finally here, there's a lawyer who comes. The scriptures tell us that a lawyer comes and he asks Jesus a question in front of a group of people. And this is not a lawyer in the sense that we would think about a lawyer today. This is a lawyer in the sense that he's an expert in the written Old Testament law and its interpretation and its application. He has spent his whole life doing nothing else but studying the Old Testament scriptures that Moses has written and the prophets and what they've had to say in application of those things. And so he's an expert in these things. And the people who are gathered around recognize him as an expert in these things. And they're listening intently because they want to see how Jesus is going to answer him. And if this lawyer, who uh, they have such high esteem for, is going to be able to trip up Jesus. Now, he, he's testing. The, the scriptures say here very clearly that he's testing the Lord. That he asked him this question to test him. He's asking, he says, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, he's not asking this. He's not saying, are there laws from the Scripture that I can ignore? Are there things in the Scripture that, that, that are said that I can just ignore those? They're not as weighty as some other things, and so do I really have to pay so much close attention to those things? Can I just overlook some of these things? And, and he, he's, asked, he's not asking that. What he's asking is, Jesus, there are 613 commands. Which command wraps it all up? Which command sums it all up? Which command gets to the heart of everything that's written? And so Jesus gives him an answer. It's a two-part answer. And he, he answers him this way in verses 37 through 40. We'll look at those in just a moment more deeply. But first of all, he says, love God. The first of these is love God. Now, I preached a sermon um, out of Mark last year, last June, to be exact. I preached a sermon out of Mark's interpretation of these scriptures. And I used basically the same two points. But I want to look at them pretty much differently this morning and from a different perspective as Jesus is answering these questions here today. Now, here's what Jesus is, here's, here's the, what he's answering here. The lawyer is asking him this. It's like holding up this Bible and taking this section here and, and holding it up. Now, this is interesting now because most of you are looking at it on a phone or an iPad or something nowadays. But this is the section that Jesus is being asked this question about. The lawyer is saying, Jesus, here's all of this. 
It's the law and all the prophets. Now, in all of that, sum up for me what is the most important thing there. Now, Jesus answers him back, and he says everything in that section hinges on two things. Now, the first command that Jesus talks about here in loving God is found in Deuteronomy 6 and 4. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, this is called the Shema. Every synagogue service begins with the reciting of these words. These words hang in every home in Jerusalem or all around where the Jewish people are. If a person is a godly Jew, when they get up in the morning, they recite these words. And when they, before they go to bed in the evening, they say these words, that the Lord our God is one. Now, it doesn't ta- contain any kind of command. It's a very simple statement. And what it's saying is, God is one. It's basically saying this, there is one true God, and he belongs to you, Israel. And everything about you, should, you should look to this, and it should be the most important thing in your life. And then Moses goes on a little bit more, and he connects verse number 4 to verse number 5 in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and he hooks them together, and there's an application there where he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is what Jesus repeats back to the lawyer. Now Jesus is saying to the lawyer this when he he answers him. He's saying this, you have 1,618 choices here of laws and commands that are written there in the Old Testament and the prophets. And of those 618 You could spend your whole life trying to rank them from number 1 to number 618, or you can can spend your life this way, or you can live your life in this way. You can live your life loving God and putting Him first in everything that you do. What mattered most, as Jesus is saying here, what matters most is that you have a loving relationship with the one true God that you've studied so much about. And it's a relationship that requires the whole person. It requires your heart, your soul, and your mind. Now, we're not going to do a breakdown of these three things here this morning, the heart, soul, and mind, but we do need to take a look at the word all. All emphasizes the total, full response to God's love for us. One writer says it this way, God's wholehearted love must not be answered in a half-hearted manner. When God loves us so completely that He gives His all to us through His Son, Jesus Christ, and His substitution for us, we can't come back in a half-hearted manner and love God that way, half-heartedly. Now, what does this love look like? Jesus gave an example in Mark chapter 12, in verses 41 through 44, We see the widow as she's coming there to give her offering. And Jesus says these words, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him, and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. 
For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Jesus emphasized the word all there when he said she has given everything, she has given all, and it is a beautiful picture of how we can love God in this way in loving with our all and our everything. She gave everything she had to live on. Now here's what I want you to get from that. She truly loved God and she loved him in such a way that she trusted him with everything that she had. She trusted him with her all. How many of us this morning could say that we truly, completely trust him with our all, with everything, with the things that are most important to us, the things that matter most to us? Can we possibly say that? There's only one way that we can say that, and it's through a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's through that relationship that we begin with him through the forgiveness of our sins and that relationship that begins to grow and develop over many years and many times of our life. Now, it's only through Christ that it's possible to love this way. Here's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying God is to be first in our lives. He's not to be second or third or tenth. He's to be first. He's to be first in everything in our lives. Now, I, I sit here this morning. I'm surrounded by a lot of people that I love, my wife, my children, my parents. There's all kind of people here in this sitting that I love and that I love dearly and would do just about anything I could to help them or, or whatever I could. But the Scriptures are very clear here that I am to love God even more than I love who? Than I love them. Now, I used to teach this to our youth when I was a youth minister. And I had a lot of kids who were there in about the 11th or 12th grade, and they were getting ready to make a lot of important life decisions. They were about to be deciding where they were going to go to school. Some of them in a few years would be deciding who they were going to marry, where they were going to move, what career, what vocation they were going to spend the rest of their lives in. And my advice to them was always to bring them back here and to say this, if we get this part right, if God is first in our lives, then number two, number three, number four, and number five are going to line up the way they're supposed to. Now, does that hold true? That hold, held very true for an 11th and 12th grader or a freshman or a sophomore in college. How about those of us who are 25 or 35 or 55 or 85? Does it still hold true for us today? If God is first in our lives, if he is truly number one, then everything else in our lives, two, three, four, and five, line up the way they're supposed to do. It's the same for us in the world we live in today. The sum of the whole Bible is to love God and love Him more than anyone or anything. Now, do you have worries? You ever have worries and anxieties? Yeah, preacher does too. Not long ago, just, just several months ago, I got caught up in a lot of worries and a lot of anxieties and a lot of stress and a lot of things that were weighing heavy on me. And I got number two, number three, number four, number five out of place. Some of those things suddenly became, they were on my mind so much and so heavy that one, one or two of those things took turns being number one instead of God. And guess what? Life got out of whack. Life got out of order. And life got out of the system that God 
the way that God had designed it for, for me to live and how, how for me to be. Now listen, if it can happen to the minister, who else can it happen to? It can happen to anybody. It can happen to any one of us. Ministers, I didn't wake up this morning with a coat on. I woke up just like the rest of you, hungry and thirsty. My, my life is not, is not much different than anybody else just because it has the title reverend in front of it. I had those things, and here's what happened. I began to take those things to God, and I began to lay those things out before God, and I began to ask God, and I began, I began to do what I remembered was what was right and what I have preached and told other people to do, and here was God's answer back to me. This very simply was this. Put me back where I belong and trust me. That was how simple the answer was. Put me back where I belong and then trust me to take care of you. It was that simple. If you're here this morning and that is you, trust God in those two things. Now here's a practical application of what Jesus is saying here to this, to this lawyer. The practical application in our life is this. Make space and time every day to worship God a priority in our life. Make space to worship God a priority. We've had some wonderful worship here this morning, haven't we? We've, we've sang some songs that just really got, to the heart, got inside of our hearts and began to encourage us for singing about the God's love for us and our love for God. Listen, don't get caught up in letting this be the one time this week that you do that. Don't, don't do that. In our busy days, we get caught up in our daily routines. We wake up. We eat breakfast if we have time. We run out the door. We, we go to our lives. We're getting kids out the door, our grandkids out the door. We're getting ourselves to wherever we're going. And wherever it is we're going, most of the time when we get there, we're exhausted and we're not worth much when we get there to work, are we? Now, here's what, here's what happens. I've watched some of you through the years, uh, through the last 20 years, I've watched some of you retire. And some of you retired thinking, boy, I got it made now. I'm going to sit back and relax. Some of y'all working harder in retirement than you did when you was working. And so, it, <laughs> amen over here. So, sometimes... In all of that, we do the same thing every day. We wake up, we get to where we're going, we eat lunch, we, we, we go and we finish the day or what we think we're going to finish the day. And we come home and we eat again and we watch a little TV or we get on the internet and then we go to bed and what do we do the next day? We press repeat and do it all over again. And that's it's where it becomes this place to where we're just grinding it out. We're just gritting our teeth and getting through and trying to grind it out. But here's what we need to do as Christians. We need to intentionally set aside part of every day for worship. We need to make time to be alone with God. We, in that time alone with God, we need to remember to pray. We need to remember to read Scripture. We need to meditate on those things that we've prayed about and read about. And we need to spend time just with Him. Paul said it this way in Galatians 5, 24 and 25. 24 and 25, he said, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Those passions and desires are those things that creep back in our lives and push God out of his rightful places, number one. And then he goes on to say, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step 
with the Spirit. And if we're living by the Spirit and we're wanting to keep in step with the Spirit of God, then we spend time with Him in worship every single day. We're called to love God, so let's make time for Him. And then Jesus flows so naturally here to this second part when He says that we're to love others. He says there's a second. A second is like it. Like it, it in that it flows straight from the first command. When he says this, he says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now think about he's quoting Leviticus 19 and 18, and it's important to remember what he's quoting there. In the original context, what Moses is saying is said, Don't, don't hold on to anger in your heart. Don't seek to get even with people. And don't hold a grudge. The heaviest thing that you'll ever hold in your life is a grudge. And, and Leviticus here, when he's saying that, love your neighbor as yourself, he's basically saying, we have to get along. Now think about how, who, he's, who he's saying this to all the way back here in Leviticus. He's saying this to a group of people to, who are on an exodus together. They've left Egypt, they're traveling together, and they're headed to what the, is called the promised land of Canaan. And how do they live? They live as tribes. They live in, in areas where they're just right on top of each other. They're, they're tent to tent, they're person to person. Everywhere they look and everywhere they turn, they're running smack dab into somebody else. And they're living in close quarters. So what happens all the time in those situations? There's a lot of conflict, isn't there? There's a lot of opportunity there for that conflict to come up and for that conflict to what? To spread. And for that conflict to become not just between one person and another person, but between two families or between two tribes or between all groups of people. So Mo God instructs Moses to tell the people your neighbor is right there next to you. Love your neighbor the same way you love yourself. How hard is it for us to love ourselves? It's not hard at all, is it? We're born with a human nature that says love ourselves, take care of ourselves, be for ourselves, and love, and love ourselves. Moses tell, God tells Moses to tell the people, love that person who's right next to you as much as you love yourself in the same way. Now think about today. We don't love that. We don't live right up on top of each other for the most part. Some of you live in neighborhoods. Some of you live out in rural areas. Some of you may live a little closer than other people do to each other. But we don't live in those same tribal situations and those same situations where we're right on top of each other, sharing a common area to eat and a common area for all the other things. We pretty much live a completely different life. But there's work. And there's family. And there's relationships. And there's school. And there's all these situations where we're pushed together and where there's the possibility for what? Conflict. I don't have a lot of conflict with my next door neighbors or the people who live in my neighborhood. I'm, I'm, I'm gone most of the day. They're gone most of the day. When I come in, they're tired. I'm tired. We're all, we're all inside of our houses. We don't have a lot of uh, Opportunity for conflict in my neighborhood. But where we have conflict, where we have opportunity for conflict is where? Where we're grouped with other people. And where's one of those places we're grouped right now? Right here. We're grouped in a place where there's a, 
great possibility for there to be conflict and for there to be opportunities for us to be at odds with each other. And this is one of the most important places for us to remember, as Jesus says here, that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. Darren had us just a few minutes ago to look at each other and say, I love you. I'm not going to try it again because I got hung out to dry last time. I'm standing up here in front of everybody. If I say it now, I don't want all of you to leave me hanging. But we should remember that where we are here, we have that conflict, we have that opportunity. The theologian James Edwards says that no teacher before Jesus had ever combined the love of God and love of neighbor, neighbor together as the center and the sum of the whole law. Now the first command is greater than the second, yet the first can't be met unless the second is accomplished. We can't properly love God unless we properly love each other the way that we should. Anybody struggle with that second one? Nobody wants to raise their hand, I know. But any of us struggle with that second one? I've struggled with it before. Now, my struggle with loving my neighbor as myself used to be this. It used to be that I didn't think I had the time to stop and invest in other people the way that I should. I used to think that my time was so, I, I had very little time and I had limited time, and I would let that be my excuse sometimes for not getting involved in situations. Now, my, my conflict is not so much time as it is tolerance. I am growing to understand more and more every day that this, is, this world is becoming so much more sinful, so much more um, immoral, so much more ungodly. It seems like every day it just gets more and more and more. And, and the more places that I go, the more times that I'm in a crowd of people, the more that I understand this and realize this, how, just how, how awful and how sinful the world has become. Now, I went this past, Bree and I spent these last few days in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. It's not the, it's not the greatest vacation destination in the world, but it's where we could drive to uh, quick and spend a few days and rest. But here's what, when I was a kid, if you said, where can you go somewhere that's family-friendly? Most everybody would have said what? Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Well, let's go to Gatlinburg. That, that's a, that's a, but here's what. As I'm walking up and down the streets of Gatlinburg, here's what I realized. It's not what it was when I was a kid where it was so, I hope the Gatlinburg Chamber of Commerce is not watching this. It's not the place where I was when I was a kid where it was so family or every, every several steps you take, what do you smell? Moonshine. And it's not just that, that they're, they're there on the street selling moonshine. It's that, that when you get a, when, every shop you come out of or every place you go, there's a bunch of people standing outside drinking moonshine. And what happens when you drink moonshine? You get a little bit neck, don't you? You get a little bit redneck. You get a little bit out of control. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And I'm walking and I'm thinking and I'm looking and I'm thinking this is not what it was. And I real and, and it's rolling through my mind. No, here's here's what I want you to understand. No place that I go anymore do I not encounter the sinfulness and the evil of this world. It, there's very few places that I go where I don't encounter drunkenness or immorality 
are, are just great. You're asking, well, preacher, where are you going? I'm just going to ball games. I'm just going to college football games or, or to major league baseball games or just walking down the street in what's supposed to be a vacation destination and everywhere I go, you're encountered with this. And so here's what the Lord has to remind me of. You used to be one of them. You used to be one of them and I loved you even though you were. You used to be one of them, and I died for you, even though you were. You used to be one of them, and people used to stay up nights crying and praying over you and praying for your salvation. You used to be one of them, and I pulled you out, and nobody understands them better than you do, so don't turn your nose up at them. Go in and, and try to build a relationship with them and, and try to find a way to, to share Jesus with them. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus gives us a great example of this. Last Monday in my D-Life group, we looked at Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, the story of the parable of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus gives the example here of two religious leaders who were in such a hurry to get to the temple in Jerusalem and, and go through their ritualistic sacrifices that they walk right past the body of a half-dead man, a man who's been robbed and beaten and left for dead, that God obviously put there on their path so that they would have to cross him and they would have to make a decision as to whether or not they were going to stop and love him the way that God does. But it looks like in the story of the Good Samaritan, they were too busy loving God to love his creation. They were so busy fo focusing on the first command that they don't have time for the second command. They don't have time for the person that God put in their path that needed his care. So in Matthew 22 and 39, Jesus makes it very clear. He says this, he says, A second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He makes it clear there, I'm not going to have anything to do with the kind of love that, the, that these two men showed in, in the story of the Good Samaritan. He's making the point here that a genuine love for God has to express itself in genuine love for our neighbor. The Apostle John said it this way in 1 John chapter 4 and, and verse number 20 and 21 when he said these words. For when, uh, that was chapter 3. He says these words in verse number 20. He says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So Jesus says here very clear, God can't be loved apart from our neighbor and our neighbor can't be loved apart from God in the correct way. He says when it is, John says here that when we have love for each other, it is the most evident time in our lives that we truly have love for God. Now here's the practical application of this for our lives today. If you look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 3, 
Paul said this to the church there. He said, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Have the mind of Christ, the humbleness of Christ, to count everyone you see as more significant than yourselves. When Bree first became a Christian, there on her mirror in her bathroom were these three simple letters, J-O-Y. And someone had given her this to go by as she was a new Christian, a new believer, and it simply was Jesus, others, yourself. And it was really good advice for a young Christian to grab hold of and to try to understand that in our everyday life that Jesus comes first, others come second, and then we put our own needs last. And here's what we have to remind ourselves of every day as we go through this week. Pray this way, that we will treat everyone we meet as more important as ourselves. If we live this way, if we pray this way, and we ask God to allow us to, to have this opportunity, I promise you, you can't go through this week that God won't put people in your path who you have the opportunity to show the love of Jesus by your love for them. It doesn't matter if you're going to work, if you're going to the grocery store, if you're going to the nursing home, if you're going to the hospital, wherever you go, you'll have an opportunity somewhere to treat someone else in a way that makes them know that they're more important than you. And in doing so, you show the love of Christ in doing. Now, there's no greater place where these two things come together than at the cross of Jesus Christ on Calvary. There's no greater place where love for God and love for neighbor, love for others come together more perfectly than where Jesus went to a cross and gave his life. Because in doing so, if you read on past Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 and you get to verse number 5 on through 11, you see the greatest example of love that's ever been. When Jesus humbled himself, gave up his home in heaven, and came to earth and gave his life in obedience to the Father. His love for the Father gave him the humility to be obedient even to the death on a cross. And in doing so, he showed the greatest love for others that's ever been shown, represented here on this earth. It's represented so well in the verse that's so familiar to us in John 3.16, we quoted it last week. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever would believe on him would not perish, but have eternal, everlasting life. There's no greater example of obedience putting the Father first and love for mankind than what Jesus did on the cross. I wonder as he's talking to that lawyer there, as he's looking him in the eye and he's telling him these two great commands, I wonder if in the back of his mind he's thinking someday 
young man, you may have the opportunity to be in Jerusalem and to watch this love displayed on a cross on a hill at Calvary. I wonder if in the back of his mind, if he's thinking, if you'll just follow me for a little while longer, you'll have the opportunity to see the greatest love that's ever been displayed displayed on the, in the cruelest fashion that could ever be known. That was Jesus' love for us and his love that continues for us as he went there to be your substitute on a cross. There's no greater love than that. There's no greater display of it than that. As we close this morning, this week you'll have opportunities. You'll have opportunity to set aside time to worship God. You'll have time, you'll have opportunity this week to make sure that you put God first by worshiping Him and spending time with Him. You'll have time this you'll have we opportunity this week, time after time, to show the love of God through your, the love of your neighbor, the love of your fellow man, in so many different settings this week. Here's, here's where it all comes together is the choice is up to you what you do with that. The choice is up to you how you live that out and how you respond. This morning, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you know that as Jesus was speaking to this crowd, he's speaking to a multitude of people who need forgiveness of their sins and he who need to know that they are going to have eternal life with him, maybe you're in that category here this morning and maybe you need to profess your sin, confess your sins to him and ask for forgiveness and come to know him in relationship and live this life of love that he has for you. Would you stand as we pray? Father, thank you.